when a population policy, and yes, I know there's some dispute about that, has been agreed. We'll see what effect it actually has on the key problems facing Jersey, not least housing, which was the debate which occupied much more of our politicians' time this week. In short, should we tighten standards for rental homes in Jersey by making the rent-safe scheme mandatory for all landlords? Is it complex, time-consuming, costly and unnecessary red tape, which will cause lots of landlords to leave the sector, as its opponents claimed? Or actually, is it a very simple and sensible move to make sure the home you rent meets basic living standards, something which its promoters say is long overdue? Big Gov or Essential Controls? Both the housing and environment ministers opposed it, and so, in the end, did a majority of their colleagues. It was narrowly kicked out. It was brought by Senator Christina Moore and amended by Deputy Rob Ward, who is this week's guest on the Politics Disassembled podcast with me, James Filial. He's also been at the heart of calling out a GovComs campaign, perhaps our version of Boris's Operation Red Meat, claiming it's just propaganda. And as a former teacher, he's been pushing hard for free school meals. Oh, and since it's already election season, in case you hadn't noticed, he's a Reform Party candidate, so we'll tuck into his thoughts on party politics. Okay, so Deputy Ward, thank you very much for uh, joining us on the pod this morning. Probably not the news you you wanted to hear uh, this morning. So your proposition and Christina Moore's proposition um, to change the way that rental properties are regulated effectively and tighten that up, that's been rejected. Your reaction to that? Well, unfortunately, this is the fourth iteration of some form of uh, proposition to introduce regulation. And yet again, the State's Assembly has failed to bring in a regulation which simply maintains the legal standards that we've already voted for. The previous licensing system was voted for in principle, so the principle of having regulation and requiring landlords to provide homes of a certain standard, that law that already exists, was agreed. When the regulations came back yet again, they were rejected yet again today, it's been rejected. And it has to be said that there is strong lobbying of government directly to prevent these things happening and and, and it's a real shame that yet again we don't have that assurance for people who are paying so much of their income simply for the most basic thing a home to live in come on though i mean the lobbying of government that you know that's been going on as long as government's been in existence why do you keep losing these propositions i think there's a lack of will and a lack of understanding of what it actually means and the same old arguments are being rolled out the arguments about are we just simply there are some in the assembly who simply don't want any regulation the free marketeers who say well everything would sort itself out unfortunately that's a failed idea because we have a very fixed market we're talking about something that people need. You can't go without a home. Um, you, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's like if you were to uh, regulate, um, I don't know, the water supply, for example. You can't go without it, but you need a standard so it's safe. So that market is very fixed. People have no choice. We have a, 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 a shortage of homes here, particularly decent homes, and we have a strange system of different regulations or different levels of classification of how people can live here. It's all really there 
uh, to push the prices up. But is this really this um, direct lobbying? I think it was the phrase that you, you maybe used in, in the States Assembly this week, and we'll come back to that in, in a second. But the reason I ask the question is that, you know, even the Environment Minister, John Young, the, the guy who would be implementing the scheme, he doesn't want it. Well, that's a shame, and I, I, I can honestly say I don't know where the minister's coming from because he brought the regulations, but he had to be forced to bring the regulations from a proposition from myself. And it seems to me that there's a lack of um, political impetus from the minister there to to really push for it. Now, I understand you that he's called John Young a free marketeer, right? No, and that's the confusing thing. I know I'm certain that the minister, in his heart of hearts, knows this, this is the right thing to do. But I think this is a this is a triumph for uh, compromise and supposed pragmatism over what is necessary for this island. And yet again, we get to a situation where it's not going to get better for those people living in substandard accommodation. What, what do you mean by this lobbying point? Because I really want to kind of focus, focus in on that. What exactly are you saying? Well, I've got to say, we immediately, we just before the um, uh, debate, receive an email from the Jersey Landlords Association, again, with the, the same tried and, I think, inaccurate arguments about why this shouldn't happen. But that's because you disagree. I mean, I get that. But there was also the political consultant of the Landlords Association, Assistant Chief Minister, and as the ear of the Council of Ministers. Now, I'm sorry, but that needs to be transparent and obvious. And that's there. And Um, and, and I would ask a question, really important question to the Environment Minister and to Council of Ministers. How many tenants did they speak to? Because what's happening is there is a large voice for the Landlords Association, which is not truly representative of all landlords, a uh, written question in 2020, I think, or 21, from Senator Mezek showed that there were around 6,000 landlords on the island. I believe the membership of the Landlords Association is about 150. And yeah. some of those we know, because they've told us, actually support licensing because it supports good landlords and raises the standard. But hang on a minute. You, the, the role of Deputy Hewlin with the Landlords Association and obviously his role uh, ministers... It, that's, that is open and transparent. It's well known. We're talking about it. It's not secret. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. It is not secret, but I think it's there and it needs to be recognised. There's a large number of landlords in the Assembly as well. Um, so many landlords that actually we can't be, remove them from the debate, otherwise you wouldn't have a debate. And so there are factors in there that we need to look at. Now, the, this is all getting a bit twisted, though, isn't it? Because you, you can't then move to a world where someone who makes um, makes some money out of renting a property. I mean, that's 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 a lot of people. You know, you just rent a room in your house. You know, you're, therefore you're a landlord. That shouldn't preclude you from being a state's member. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that is the case. But what we need is some transparency about where the drivers are coming from and the reasons. And if you look at the actual debate and the arguments, we've seen them repeatedly. It will push prices up. Why would it put prices up? Are we saying that there is so much substandard accommodation on this island that it's going to cost a fortune to put it right and so therefore we can't do it? And if we are saying that, then we've got a lot of people living in substandard accommodation in 2022 in Jersey, an advanced uh, economy and an advanced culture. What do we? Are we genuinely going to accept that as a state's assembly where our first and pro- the first thing that we are... You know, tasked to do is to protect the population. Now, come on, we're also putting children first. We don't even know who the landlords are who may have access to those homes. We don't know the standards children are living in. We know that damp affects children, for example, their health. We know during COVID, which exposed massively the problems for homes that are inadequate and, and children's play area and so on and so forth. This this is something that is. 
it needs to be viewed as a, a genuine social investment in our future, and we're not going to solve the problems of health, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, unless we start Fine. here. But states members haven't agreed it again. Mm. So where does this go now? I mean, are, are you done now with this? Uh, no, not at all. We have an election coming up. We will fight the election on um, socially progressive policies that's, that make this case and get this case out there. Not just that, but things such as a living wage or giving people dignity in the okay. jobs that they do, etc., etc. All right, so you continue it at the elections and, and you crack on from that. All right, well, look, so we've got a few things to talk about from from, from this week. It's been a busy, a busy state sitting throughout the week this week. Um, I, w- I want to touch on this, um, in inverted commas, propaganda campaign <laughs> that... Um, has been in the news for the last uh, two or three weeks. So your written question came out this week, which put a number on it, a little over £8,000. Is that the number you're expecting? Well, who knows? Who knows what the government's spending at the moment? I mean, I don't know whether that includes the time to make the, the plush videos that they're making as well, so I don't know how accurate it is. But I would ask the question of, why are we spending money telling our population how good the government is? If it's that good and the, and the, and the projects are that good, they should see the impact. You shouldn't need to be telling people. But there is a point here that governments should be allowed to communicate how they're doing. Otherwise, you know, they, you, you're withdrawing a, a, a kind of key tool from, from, from their armoury. They should be able to, to tell the population, look, this is how we get on. And if they feel that's not coming across, then why shouldn't they be able to do something about it? I think there's a difference between telling the population about uh, the facilities that are available, what's available in terms of uh, new initiatives... Than, than if some this, this this strange celebration of look how well we've done, using uh, states workers as the, as the sort of vehicle for that. And what about the issues that haven't been addressed? They haven't addressed income inequality. We have growing use of food banks. Uh, we have an issue around hot meals in schools where they simply cannot provide because about something they knew about. Perhaps we'll talk about that later. We have an issue regards housing standards. We have a housing crisis. Um, you know, those are the issues that people, the reality of issues. And I think what it does, the problem, the other problem is, it makes, I think, the population cynical about government and governance. Is it, is it the campaign that's done that? Or is it party politics that's doing that? Because this is a, this is a party political issue for you guys, right, in, in reform. You've picked up on this spend and you've seen it as an open goal and you've gone straight through it. Yeah, well, party politics, let's look at that, shall we? We came into the election with, on a platform of party politics. We were clear and transparent. This is what we want to do. Since 2014, the iteration of reform, and before that has been a party and its members are there. I stood on a platform of party politics. Everybody knew what I was going to do. Mid-term, government has decided it will form a party in government, and suddenly in party politics, and if you look at the beginning of term, the amount of criticism of us for being involved in party politics within that chamber, be an interesting search through the Hansard for you, actually. Uh, and now we suddenly have a party in government that is promoting what government has done, and particularly those party members, using government money. I, I think it's, it is cynical, and I think that what we need to do is we need to look for transparency, because, again... What people think is, as you've said, oh, it's all about party politics. It isn't. Genuine party politics would give people on this island a genuine choice about the future of the island. Parties should have a manifesto that is effectively a government plan in action so that when a walk into power, whatever that may be, even if a coalition, the, the difficult decisions have been made in advance. Rather than waiting for officers to give them some ideas six months into uh, an assembly, which is what happens... Day one should be, okay, this is what's going to happen. Go away and make it happen because we have a mandate from the population 
to say, we are voting for you for those reasons. That's the way politics works, and that's the way accountability works. Now, if that doesn't work in the next election, that party is going to do very, very badly because what they voted for previously has not worked. At the moment, we don't have that. We have a, a very disjointed approach to policy making, and actually what we have is inaction. But this has created a, a very divisive and febrile political climate in Jersey. Do you, do you, do you not agree with that? That, I, that I, it's, politics have put, party politics has pulled people into camps and I, set them against each other, where previously Jersey was about consensus politics. Yes, people have their disagreements, but not to the level where it, that they're having now. I, I, I would question the uh, consensus politics, I've got to say. The reality is that those camps were in the back rooms and the tea rooms of the Assembly. They're now out in the open and people are having to be much more transparent about what they believe in. There will be a period where it appears to be very divided in that way. But in the next Assembly, if there, will, there will inevitably some, be some form of coalition, I'd imagine, because I don't think there's any party that will take 25 seats in one go, and that may well be healthy. I mean, I would hope that we would offer something to the population, but we can talk about that later. Then, the negotiation, we know where we are. That's when people work together. And actually, we do work across the Assembly. I chair a scrutiny panel. There's nobody else from my party on that scrutiny panel, and never was. It works well together. Other party members are on scrutiny panels in the same way. We work together with other members of the Assembly all of the time. We recognise that. But, but you have to toe the party line. I mean, it's, it's a clichéd expression because it's true. You have to toe, toe the party line. So you can't agree with someone if it's against your party policy and therefore form a bond with them politically if, <laughs> if you don't do it. If a party has strong principles that they're built upon, that's not a problem. We, shared principles means we have a collective approach to policy. So there are some things such as a living wage, decent housing standards, um, f- free travel on the buses, uh, funding for education, funding for our health service, fair taxation. Those are things which we have a common approach to. There will be some things where we don't agree. Uh, and there are free votes on those all of the times. So for example, the, the vote on assisted dying, that, that's a conscience vote. And it's those areas that I think are important. Let's look at the alternative to that. People turning up to the Assembly without a principle and knowing where they're going to vote and then suddenly deciding, and apparently on the debate, the level of which at times is, is not high, um, and on how they're going to vote. How are the electorate going to hold them to account when they don't know how they're going to vote each day? What are you voting for? And I think that's what we need to get across. That's what the, the message that needs to go across to the population of Jersey. Look carefully at what vote those parties are offering you. If it's just word salad, look carefully. Look at the policy. Look at the change. Look at the actions they're going to take because that's what we need on the island. We need more action and less talking. All right. Let's look at um, one of the other aspects which came out of the States this week, which was uh, which was school meals. So um, the education, children education minister, uh, Deputy Scott Wickenden, um, saying that now wasn't the right time to support uh, school meals for uh, parents on income support, which obviously prompted by the students at Victoria College. Your response to that? I think the arguments that were made are poor for a number of reasons. One of the arguments was that the facilities in the schools, for example, in the centre of St Helia, where the highest number of Jersey Premium students receiving Jersey Premium, which is reflective of need, are. Um, The facilities aren't there. These schools were built in the 70s. We knew the facilities weren't there at the beginning of this, pro- of this pilot. The first thing that should have been done is to say, OK, how can we get these facilities in place? But there's a cost attached to that, that Rob. You, you, you can't make promises like that without knowing how you're going to pay the bill. 
But in terms of the cost, the impact of that cost is enormous. The positive impact of that cost is enormous. And across government, you have to make decisions on how you're spending money. Um, you know, we talked about £8,000 on a propaganda campaign. Is that money well spent? We're spending a million, I don't know how many hundreds of millions, on, on, on building projects, such as a, a, an office block at Cyril and Mark on the House. I think one of the worst deals I've ever seen in my life in, in government. Um, so there is money available when it needs to be. We have a COVID recovery fund. So I, I think the money argument is gone. Also, let's look at what is needed. We need some survey areas. That's a building project within the schools. If the worst came to the worst, I'm sure I could sit here today and say to people around the centre of St Helier, any builders out there would come and give up a weekend and help us out, and I'm sure people would stand up and do it because we have an extremely caring community. Now, the reality is there is a limited amount of money available for the meals at the moment. So what do you do when there's a limited amount of money? You, you target it intelligently to where there's most need that hasn't happened for convenience the argument over not having the facility produce that number of meals that would have been known at the beginning what have we done about addressing that have we discussed with for example highlands college that have large scale catering and have catering students it could be a good experience there any of the other companies on the island that do that this needed to be planned out with the right intention behind it the, the the most need for hot meals in schools in the centre of St Helier, where there is most um, economic need. Now, I'm not saying don't put them into the other schools. and I don't see why we didn't just make that choice and say, we will put school meals into all primary schools, hot meals each day. Let's, let's think about that. What we're doing as a government is saying, we are going to put children first. And one of the ways we're going to do that is to give every child in a primary school a hot meal every day. The social factor of eating with their friends, discovering new food and ensuring they get decent food inside them. I'm quite happy to put government funds into that because it's money well spent. But we decided not to do that in some schools. It's disjointed and it's not working. Okay, so what happens now? So the education minister isn't able to do this, isn't prepared, whatever the the, the word is, but it's not going to happen so what does happen? Well, the missed opportunity, I brought this to the Assembly a year or so ago and it was voted against, I think the cost was £500,000, which is peanuts in terms of the, uh, the amount of spend in education, for example. What happens now? We keep pressure on in the election again. I think that will be an okay. election issue. All right. Well, we're running out of time, but there was one other uh, big policy which we covered last week on the pod, which was the population policy, where it went through almost without without a whimper in the states. I'm this not week. sure about that. But. Well, in terms of the, in terms of the vote, um, it was pretty pretty straightforward. I mean, that was that was going to be be lost. What you're talking about, though, is the debate. There were some quite spiky comments made during during the debate this week. Was that how you expected it to go? Well, it was very. I thought it was a very difficult debate because if you actually look at the document, there's 120 pages. It's a report. Uh, the proposition itself is to say that we might do something sometime in the future when there's more data that we don't have at the moment. And over the last four years, we haven't bothered to collect it. How that is a proposition, I do not know. So that's the first thing. And second, within the actual... I, I really suggest people read the 120 pages. Um, and within it are contradictions. There's a paragraph that I read out in my speech that says... We will have a target for population, but sometimes we might have to change that. And actually, at other times, we might have to reverse it. So what we have is a complete contradiction in what we're doing. What people need to recognise with population is that we are a small island, and so therefore limitations will have to happen. How we do that takes political will. 
And what we've got at the moment is a cop-out from government. All right, but look, I mean, Deputy Hulham was on this pod last week and his view was basically... Uh, if you've got a better idea, say it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. He obviously didn't use those words. So that's basically what he said. W- what would you do? Well, read the reform document that we put out in population. It's not a simple topic, but it's there. First of all, about the licenses themselves. How many licenses are being given out? Let's look at those intelligently. We need to make sure that there are opportunities for people on the island to, to train. But come on, uh, then. It's, it's, it's not a policy either just to say, well, we'd have fewer people coming to Jersey. That's that, that's not the issue. That's not a policy. No, that's not the issue. What you have to target is what is the need of Jersey population in terms of its work permits, uh, in terms of the population itself. And are we training people locally to actually take on those roles? And can they stay here? The issue we've got, one of the issues that we have was not discussed in the population policy, and I'm fearful of for the future of this island, is it's not just the simple numbers of the people here, but the demographic. Because we are losing younger people and generations who are not staying on the island because they can't afford to live here. They cannot buy anywhere to live here. Rental prices are very high and we have no regulation. Let's not go back over that. And when they are training and looking at a wider economy in terms of their, their jobs, they're, they're moving away and not coming back. And this notion that they'll come back later with their families, well, actually, that's being prevented because of how, uh, high house prices. So we have a real risk into the future of a drain of, uh, of, the, the, of productive, more productive. I'm not saying anyone's not productive on the island. That, that's the wrong thing to do. But the more productive sectors of our economy. And in most small islands, they have an issue with population dropping. And we haven't got that at the moment. But in the long term, if we don't control what we're doing and have an intelligent and sensible approach to what we're doing with some genuine political will behind it, we could be in a a situation very quickly of a change in demographic, which is going to really affect the long-term future of this island. Just to be really clear for people listening, just to to finish off um, your your argument on this, what, what, what would you do? You would reduce the number of people coming to Jersey by improving the skills of people in Jersey. Over the long term, that's exactly what you have to do. We don't have a skills approach on this island. If you want to retrain at some time in your life, it's almost impossible. Uh, young people go for what I think is a very disjointed education system post-16, and there are some good recommendations from a panel, actually, on what we should do with post-16 education. Um, the skills need of the island is changing. Uh, we need to diversify our economy as well, which is one of the things that we haven't done previously, so that people, not only when they train here, they will stay here or they will come back. But what about the thousands of people who come back to Jersey any time? They're residentially qualified, they just don't live here. What about those What about those people who come back to Jersey any time? They could increase the population. And there's not a whole lot you can do about that. No, absolutely. So what do you do? You have to address what we what we need on the island and, and, and the... And the, and the limits in terms of sustainability of population and actually say this is what this island needs coming into the future because that's going to change Would you as have well. a number? It's not as simple as a number today because we don't even have the census information through and I accept that. But the data that they're talking so about in the population... Do you agree with ministers policy, on that though? Because that, 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 that was Deputy Hewlin's argument last week. That, well, you know, we, 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 we haven't got a number. We don't know what the number should be so it's not about a number. That was what he said. The government's been in power for four years and has actively not collected any data on this. The census is important in terms of where we are. However, for example, we don't even know how many landlords there actually are on the island. So we don't know that sector of the economy. Um, how many licenses are actually being given out? What we seem to be doing is wanting to attract wealthy and wealthier people um, 
to the island because there's some notion that um, they're bringing wealth to the island for employing people. Well, that's going to mean more and more people coming to the island. And there's also that big issue of the tax system here. The move away from company tax to individual tax means, as was suggested, and actually it's a very good description, we have what's referred to as a Ponzi scheme. You need more people at the back bottom paying tax, more numbers coming in in order to support a tax system. We need to readdress that. We need a fairer tax system. But every single thing that we have brought with reform to the Assembly to try and make that tax system fairer has been rejected. The removal of the cap on social security payments beyond £250,000 earnings, that's still there. So we haven't got that tax revenue. The one type of tax system for all, which would meant would have meant a, a small tax cut for everybody, but a much fairer tax system and someone that's more workable into the future. We haven't looked at that. And, and, and that's where the failings are as well. This is about, yes, it's a complex issue, but if you look at the population, the common population policy, in inverted commas, that was presented the other day, the solutions are not there. The document produced by Reform, which is quite an extensive document, actually, and that's just our precursor, does give some suggestions as what we have to do. Okay. And I think those are the issues we need to look at as we move forward. Okay. Deputy Ward, thank you very much. And that's the pod for this week. But if your thirst for local politics still isn't quenched, if your need to know is insatiable, then we'll be back next week, same time and in all the usual pod places. But if you can't even wait that long, Bailiwick Express is online and on DAB Radio 24-7. And we also have a selection of other news podcasts for you to enjoy too. If you find us on social, please do like and share. It really does help. But for now, from me, James Filial, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening.